Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. We hope that these resources aid your worship of God and help you experience gospel change for all of life. For more information on our church or to plan a visit, please check us out online at SovereignHope.Church. That's SovereignHope.Church. Father God, uh, it's such a privilege to come to you and to receive the blessings of your revealed word. And we ask now that as this passage is preached, that you'd work through it powerfully to make an impact in our lives. Lord, make an impact in our hearts today so that we might walk closer in faithfulness to you. And we want to know you more, and we want to be more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're a mom or a dad, or if you have ever spent some time with young kids, you've probably heard the phrase... Look what I can do, right? Hey, 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 look at me. Look what I can do. Are you looking at me? Mom, mom, watch this. I can clap like a seal. (laughs) Aren't I just like a seal mom? Right? They do something, something funny. This is totally normal kid stuff, right? This is what they do. They just want to share their lives and their hearts with us. They want us to think they're funny. They want to be near to us. But sometimes, let's be honest, it can be annoying, right? It can be annoying, Happening at a bad time, not really self-aware, not reading the room, right? So maybe you're working or trying to entertain company, little Susie says, look what I can do, I can make my face red like a tomato, right? Not the time, not good time. Or dad, 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 look at this giant block of TNT I made in Minecraft. It's going to shoot redstone everywhere and make withers spawn in the nether. And you're like... I'm doing a member interview, Ezra. Maybe take it to your room. So these nice people still come to our church. (laughs) You know, this is funny. It's a relatable experience if you've ever spent any time with kids. And I I was thinking about that as I was preparing uh, the sermon today because when it comes to our relationship with God, we might see ourselves as the semi-annoying child coming into the room at the wrong time. We might think that our prayers bug God. If we believe that about ourselves and about God, we might not pray at all. Sometimes we can even make this sound more spiritual to ourselves and think that out of respect and reverence, we shouldn't bother God because he's busy with more important things. But church, it's not out of reverence and respect that we don't pray to our Heavenly Father It's out of a false sense of self-sufficiency. To believe the lie that God does not want to hear from you is to miss out on having a faith that is alive and thriving. A faith in God that looks less like an intellectual assent to concepts we say are true and more like an actual relationship with a loving father. And so today, Jesus' words are going to encourage us to come to him often and persistently with the goal that our hearts would be so full that even as we face a world that is at times against us for following him in his way, we can endure patiently with the knowledge that our Father is with us, for us, and will one day make right all of the things that are wrong. So as we consider our passage this morning, we are going to see that God's faithfulness in mercy and justice produce enduring hope and faithfulness to pray in his redeemed people. And our takeaways that we don't want to miss 
are to get the point of the parable, always pray and don't lose heart. Two, to have a persistent pursuit of justice. And that's when justice seems held back and when justice is promised. We'll talk about that later. And lastly, to persevere through prayer. That's how we will persevere. So let's read our passage one more time in full before we dig into it. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So this passage is a little unique when it comes to the parables of Jesus, uh, uh, you know, parables are these seemingly simple stories that communicate much deeper truths, and Jesus is fond of them in his teaching ministry. Uh, sometimes they're difficult to understand, and this is especially true for their original audience at the time who is living before the gospel is understood. And they were sometimes difficult for Jesus' disciples. Sometimes they can be difficult for us. And now there are some parables that Jesus actually explains to the disciples, right? A good example would be um, the, the sower and the different soils in Luke 8. But here in Luke 18, the author of this book, Luke, inserts himself and gives us the lens through which we should consider Jesus' words. Luke tells us that we ought, what we ought to do with Jesus' words. So like I said, this is unique, and it's the only time that Luke does this in any of the parables, so we don't want to miss it. Luke says in chapter 18, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. When the scripture tells us what we ought to do, we ought to take it seriously. This is why we shouldn't begin to consider the parable until we consider for a moment Luke's framing of it. He wants us to get the point of the parable. Always pray and don't lose heart. I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to assume today that most of us would like a more dynamic and vibrant prayer life than we have. Luke wants that for us too. Today, Luke is telling us that Jesus' encouragement to us is to always pray. And if you've been in church long or know your Bible well, this language is not unfamiliar. Uh, Your first mental connection in Scripture would probably be uh, Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. Always praying, praying without ceasing. This can seem daunting, even impossible. How do I find the time? What do I say? 
And while this encouragement to always pray certainly includes private times of thoughtful prayer, prayer with family members and with your church, and even corporate prayer like we do together here on Sundays, like Devin just let us in, this encouragement to always pray implies both informality and familiarity. We're not going to get better at this unless we do it. At its simplest definition, prayer is talking to God. I say that informality is implied in the command to always pray because it would just be impossible to do otherwise. We need to bring God into our daily lives in order to do this. You know, many, in fact, most of our prayers should probably exist in this category. And what Luke is encouraging us to do today is to make prayer, communion, and communication with our God an important and normal part of our everyday existence. And to always pray is to simply live in the reality of God's nearness, his power, and his posture towards us as his redeemed people, and to call on him throughout the day to acknowledge his grace and to plead for his help. And to do this as often as we think of it. Prayer is one of the most important ways that we can evaluate the health of our relationship with God. And we should do that. We should evaluate the health of our relationship with God. Are we near enough to him in prayer and through his word that we are familiar with him? His will, his desires for us. And the reality is we will either be near to God or we will be far from him. And many scriptures point to the fact that there really isn't an in-between. If we're prayerless, this exposes a functional unbelief in God. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But the opposite is also true. Be you really, really far from God, have nothing to do with him, Don't talk to him, don't listen to his word, and your experience will be that he will feel far from you. In prayer, we come face to face with the God who is acknowledging his rule and dominion in the world and over our own lives, admitting our dependence on him and living in the reality that reorders all other realities that we encounter in life. So when we're prayerless, something will take the place of God and reorder things under it. Fear or a need for approval, anxiety, or a constant chasing after comfort. But if our relationship with the Lord is prioritized and we live each day in the reality of his love for us, seen supremely in Jesus laying down his life in our place so that our sins might be forgiven and we'd be restored to God. If that reality and relationship is as real as breathing, then we can face every trial and difficulty knowing that we're not only not alone, that we're cared for, loved, and provided for perfectly in every situation, even if it doesn't feel like it. Because if we're always in prayer, we won't lose heart. That's the implication. And I think that it would be right for us to characterize prayer as a spiritual discipline. Disciplines are not always cool or desirable. We don't want to do them. That's part of the deal. Um, They can be seen as chores. And spiritual disciplines can wrongly be seen as chores we do for God. Have you ever felt that way? Church, this is not the case. It cannot be more wrong. 
Some spiritual disciplines would be uh, regularly reading the scriptures or coming to church or praying the way that we've been talking about. But are we doing these things for God's sake or for our sake? In a works-based faith, prayer is something that we have to do for God to earn his favor. But in a grace-based faith, prayer is something that we get to do because we already have God's favor through Christ. So how do you think about prayer? Is it a chore to you? Is it purely perfunctory? Or is it the means by which you don't lose heart in a world gone wrong? Prayer is where our heart comes in line with God's. And it is something that we are in desperate need of. Prayer is where our hearts are changed to desire less of the things of the world and more of Christ's kingdom. And we can come to our Father in prayer because Christ came for us. That's what's encouraging. That's what causes us to not lose heart. That's what causes us to take heart. That's what causes us to endure to the end when Christ will return. And what Jesus has done at the cross is that he's given us access to the Father the help of the Holy Spirit and new hearts that desire to come to God with everything and to submit our lives and our hopes in every moment to him. So are your prayers reflexive or are they reluctant? Are we coming to God with our prayers reflexively? Is it a reflex to pray and find hope in him at all times? Or are we praying reluctantly, sparsely, Are we assuming that we have no need to talk to him because he's going to do whatever he's going to do anyway? Now, if a high view of God's sovereignty has caused you to stop spending time in prayer, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) If we don't draw near to the Lord, he will be far from us. Last week in chapter 17, Tyler preached that following Jesus and pursuing his kingdom comes with cost. And for Jesus, it came through a cross. And his words to us were, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus told his disciples that in order to be found faithful, they needed to reject false hopes in the world and seek the kingdom of God in Christ. To be found faithful, we need to stay prayerful. Today we're told to always pray and to not lose heart in light of this teaching of being ready for Christ's return, to live and endure and hope and pray in a world stained by sin, full of pain and disappointment, to endure to the end and be found faithful when it seems like so much is wrong that cannot be made right. So now with this background and the encouragement to always pray, let's look again at the parable for today and see what Jesus is doing. Luke 18, 1 through 8a. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, I started the sermon by talking about kids being annoying, and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Have you ever had a kid ask you for a snack? I'm hungry. I want a snack. I want a bar. I want yogurt. And you're like, you just ate. I'm not doing it. No. You can wait until lunch. And they just keep asking. And they're pouting. If they're really young, they're like sobbing because they want an applesauce. And then you resolve. It breaks down over time. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. And you say to yourself, it's just a snack, Johnny. It's just a snack, man. If you give them the snack, you'll have peace. <laughs> and you give in. You give the kids the bar, the puffs, the pouch. You give in. They wore you down, but there's peace until lunch. <laughs> now, a bad application for today's message would be pray to Jesus until you annoy him enough that he gives into your demands. It's a bad application. And I think I've actually heard people in my life preach it that way. You just got to keep coming. You don't have enough faith. You keep coming, he'll give it to you. That's not the point. This is not what this is talking about. It would be more accurate to say that this parable illustrates a comparison between an unrighteous judge and the God who saves us. These are very different characters. And yet, when dealing with either of them, Jesus' words reveal to us that in both scenarios, we should have a persistent pursuit of justice. And this is both when justice seems held back with the unrighteous judge and the widow, and when justice is promised between the Savior and his people. Now, justice is a heavy word, and it's been tied to heavy things in our culture and politics today. And I use it knowing this, but I, I want to be clear that I'm using it in a very broad sense, because we don't even know what the widow's problem was. We don't know what she was fighting against. At its simplest, to pursue justice is to pursue what is right and to desire that what is wrong would be made right. In the first part of this section, we have the parable and we see the story of the widow's persistent pursuit of justice wearing the unjust judge out. And this is our first section in the point when justice seems held back. So who is this judge in the story? What do we know about him? Right out of the gate in verse 2, it says in Luke 18, 2, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Goes on to say later in verse 4, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. This man is self-aware, right? <laughs> but he's not very aware of God's word. In light of the rest of scripture, this man is a bad candidate to be a judge. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 10. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And God's word points out that this man is missing an essential quality when it comes to offering sound judgment. Wisdom. And he lacks wisdom because he doesn't fear God. And he doesn't fear God. And because he doesn't fear God, he treats people poorly. And he sees them only as a tool for his own advancement. 
How we view and relate to God has a profound impact on how we view and relate to others. Look at how Jesus describes the character of the judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect man. He's annoyed by those who need him. He feels no shame at being what he is. He only helps others to help himself. He's a man without a conscience. He's the worst. How can a widow receive justice through a man like this? She's our other character in the parable, the widow. And in this story, she represents helplessness. Her entire active part in the parable is confined to verse 3, Luke 18, 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So all we know about her, all we have is that she was a widow, but not just a widow. A widow who has to seek justice for herself because no one else will. Normally in this day, a woman wouldn't even go to the court about legal matters. Her husband or a male member of her family would. But in this story, she is alone. She is no one to advocate for her. The second thing we know about her is that she kept coming. And though she'd been refused many times by a man who most likely had a reputation of not helping people, she would not stop coming. And though the situation seemed hopeless, she kept returning to the only one who had any power to change her situation. And thirdly, we know that she sought justice. Like I said, we don't know what happened, but with Jesus telling the story to us the way he is and setting up these characters the way that he does, we know that the widow in the story was seeking the right thing. She was being wronged. And she needed others to help her in ways that she could not help herself. So Luke 18, 3 to 5, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This is an underdog story, right? We like these. We like underdog stories. The stakes are high. She's got no one to help her, and she is just getting at it. She is fired up. And despite her situation and the odds that were against her, she fought the power. She kept showing up. Look at verse 5. The widow keeps bothering me. Because of that, I will give her justice so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. And that phrase, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, it literally means in the original language, so that she won't give me a black eye. That's what it means. And in that day, this was kind of like slang and what it meant in a culture uh, that cares a lot about shame and how we look. If she keeps coming, she's going to put me to shame. She's going to make me look bad in front of all these people. The judge could not quiet her down. And if he couldn't, he'd look bad. So he needed to handle it. This woman knew that she had no other hope and that the only hope that she had, imperfect as it was, was to keep coming. The adversity of the situation inspired her and it inspires us today. These are stories we love. And because justice was being held back, she went at it even harder. 
she kept showing up. Because of the gravity of her situation, the hopelessness of it, the adversity of dealing with the legal process in that day, and the fact that the guy at the top was corrupt, all of these things just encouraged her even more to pursue what is right. And Jesus finishes the parable in verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. It's like he's saying to the disciples, to the crowd that's within, shot, within earshot, to the Pharisees that are still there. Did you guys hear what even the bad guy did? Did you hear that the helpless person received justice from the unrighteous judge simply because she kept coming? And then Jesus, as the master teacher, turns it around in verses seven and eight. And will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And this is our second sub point here where we're encouraged to have a persistent pursuit of justice. And this is when justice is promised. And this is between the Savior and his people. And Jesus' relatively few words after his parable, it's as though he's saying, God hears your prayers and he is nothing like this judge. God doesn't refuse to hear the cause of the helpless. And in fact, at the cross, Jesus solves our greatest problem and defeats our greatest adversary at the cost of his own life, which he willingly lays down. He knows that on our own, we have no one to advocate for us. And so he becomes our advocate. Look at 1 John Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. My little children, I'm writing these words to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And while the widow keeps hopelessly coming back again and again only to be refused, Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. You know, as I was studying the text, I had a really hard time uh, grasping some of the nuance of some of these last verses. They just read funny in my head. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're like, I don't know what it means and I hope that the preacher can fix this for me. And so I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna let you in on my process. I don't assume you have the problems I have. I just think getting to know the Bible better together is part of what we're here to do. Um, and I got stuck on the phrase, will he delay long over them? And so I looked at all the translations, the original languages, and I found that this word delay is most often translated as long-suffering. It's a delay with patience. It's choosing to not give someone what they deserve. God's long-suffering includes in its meaning the idea of God patiently withholding his wrath against sin. And at first, knowing this made me more confused. <laughs> I had to work this out like I was a child. <laughs> Will God delay long over them? Will God long suffer over them? Will he delay? Will he long suffer injustices over his elect? 
And this is an interesting way to say this because God's elect, those who, uh, whose faith for salvation is in Christ, these are the people that God does long suffer. He has a special choosing relationship with his people where he does withhold and delay wrath for the sake of their salvation. And if you're a believer today, before you knew Christ, God long-suffered you. He He withholds his wrath and extends his grace. And as sinners, we could not know God or his salvation without his long-suffering. Without God's long-suffering, we could never approach to, hope to approach him in prayer effectively. But when it comes to giving God's people justice, the making right of things that are wrong, things that have been done wrong against his people, his children, will God long-suffer that? Will he patiently delay? And the answer is no. Not only is there not a delay, Jesus says he'll give justice to them speedily. Now you may hear that and say, I don't see it yet. I don't, where is God's justice? Maybe the story hits so close to home that you actually have an accuser or an abuser, or an adversary in your life who because of Christ's work in you and your obedience to him, this person is antagonizing you and sinning against you. And all I can say to you is that justice is promised. Pray and do not lose heart. The widow returned over and over and over again to a judge who did not want to hear from her we have a God who hears our prayers day and night and who invites us to come to him, to come to him with even the little things, to always come to him, to come to him with everything. And this is where faith is required. And in this parable, prayerfulness equals faithfulness. Prayerfulness equals faithfulness. So how long will God's justice take It will take as long as God wills, but it will come. And when Christ returns for his people, vindication will be coming suddenly and swiftly and certainly. But until it does, are you going to be faithful? Justice and vindication mean nothing unless right now there's faith on earth. There's no hope in heaven for those who don't have faith on earth. And what should that cause us to do? It should cause us to pray and to not lose heart. So will you pursue it now? Will you pour out your heart to God as fervently as the widow did? Justice is promised for us. Jesus' encouragement is how much more should we pray when we know that God wants to hear from us? We're not the annoying kid bothering him. We're beloved. The continual returning of the widow to the judge brings him shame. But our continuing returning to God is the glory of a changed life through the gospel. God encourages us to always come. This brings us to our last point for the day, and that's to persevere through prayer. For context, I'll read a little bit above 
8b, it says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Man, that last sentence hits hard. In verse seven, Jesus asks and answers a question about the character of God. But in verse eight, he asks a question about us. I said earlier in this passage, earlier that this passage, uh, that faithfulness and prayerfulness are the same. There's a comparison being made. And in Jesus' own words, God's elect cry to him day and night. And brothers and sisters, if you want to be found faithful when Christ returns, we ought to be prayerful. You are not a person of faith if you are not a person of prayer. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Or when the Son of Man comes, will he find that we have stopped praying and lost heart? You know, the pastor and the author John Piper said, faith is the furnace of our lives. It is the, its fuel is the grace of God and the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the burner is prayer. If you lose heart and lay down the shovel, the fire will go out. You will grow cold and hard. So church today, Christians today, we are encouraged to feed the fire of our faith with prayer. So here's some closing thoughts. The fires of your faith have grown cold or are growing cold. The solution is to come back. To come back in prayer. Don't give up. Come back. It's the most natural thing to do. This is the most normal thing for a Christian to do is to realize that something is wrong and that God can fix it. We repent and believe. And if you think that spiritual disciplines like prayer are a chore, they don't like that you feel that way <laughs> and you want things to change, I want to invite you to do two things. First, you've got to consider the gospel and what it has done for you. It has restored you to God through Jesus. It has made a way when there was no way and it has given us access to the Father. So pray with thankfulness in the gospel. Remind yourself of it throughout the day. God has proven his faithfulness to us there. We can always look back. If you ever wonder how God feels about you or if he is faithful, look back at what he's already done. He sent his son to die in our place and restore us to God. Remembering when we struggle to see his faithfulness in our daily lives, remembering when he changed the outcome of our eternal lives, will bring peace that we can access and orient our thoughts and actions around. That's what we need to do first. And then, uh, though I said earlier that the simplest definition of prayer is talking to God, a more complex definition would include that prayer is also listening to God. And that's the second thing I want to encourage. We need to develop the habit of quieting our hearts and listening to God Maybe prayer feels like a chore to you because you're tired of hearing yourself talk. 
you haven't taken the time to listen and meditate on what you already know about God through his word. If you don't know how to begin doing this, to be quiet and meditate before God, uh, the best way that I've found to do this, this kind of listening is to is right after reading scripture. Give yourself a few minutes to be quiet in light of what you've just read. And God's spirit work in your hearts will reveal ways you need to grow, people who need prayer, and a multitude of ways that God is worthy of our praise for his unique and specific kindnesses in our lives. Now, if you're here, you're not a believer today, we're so glad that you're here. Like all... Uh, uh, like all of who, uh, those of us that are believers, I, I'm sure that you have seen uh, perversions of justice in this world. You have seen unrighteous judges take advantage of the marginalized and the oppressed. You've rightly seen that things in this world are wrong, and you have felt in your heart that it's hard to hope. Now, without Jesus, the best that we can hope for is the justice of the unrighteous judge. That sometimes we can receive a surprising win from a begrudging source after exhausting ourselves. But Jesus' words to those who love justice and seek mercy are, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus' words are, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? He will give justice to them speedily. God has promised justice, but first we need mercy. First we have to deal with our own injustice against God because this is the greatest injustice. We sinned against him and we could not make it right. And the punishment for our sin was death. But as the scriptures say, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, He desires to make us alive in Christ, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if today you want to know more about how to take those first steps to follow Jesus and to be forgiven of your sins so you can live a life that is pleasing to God, you can talk to me or any of the other elders here. We would love to help you. If God can make right the greatest wrong, we can trust him to, in his perfect timing, make everything else right. It's through communion with God in prayer that our hearts access enduring hope. God's faithfulness and mercy and justice produce enduring hope and faithfulness to pray in his redeemed people. So for all of us, in the days now between Christ's first coming and his second coming, may we be people of faith by being people of prayer because God wants to hear from us. May we continually keep coming back to him. May we not lose heart. You know, the door has been opened for us. He will not refuse us. And those who endure to the end with a persistent and prayerful faith will be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gift of prayer. God, we thank you for the encouragement today to not lose heart in it. Lord, there are so many things competing for our attention and our affections. But Lord, there's not anything in this entire world that you do not proclaim mine. 
And so God, uh, God, we want to offer our lives and our hearts to you and we need your help to do it. Lord, your scripture tells us the way to live, but it's hard to do it. And so God, work in us and through us so that we'd be people of prayer. Lord, that we would take it seriously. And God, that we would um, realize um, that to be prayerful is to be faithful. And that if we're not prayerful, we're being unfaithful. So cause our hearts to, to, to reach into the depths of what it means to live in an always and everyday communion with you. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you. Keep our hearts transfixed by the gospel. Lord, help it to land so deeply in our hearts. God, that every other situation facing us becomes smaller. God, help us to be faithful. We know that you are faithful because of what you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.